So it, if you don't know me, like my wife and I, um, we, we met in high school um, when we were 14, started dating when we were 16, and we've sort of had like this ongoing game that we've always done. It's like the would you rather game, right? So um, we just play this game all the time. I, I can remember um, being on church buses that were heading to camps or retreats together, and we're just like sitting next to each other on the bus, and we're playing like would you rather games. So it started out like very innocent, you know, like the whose acting career would you rather have? And you kind of pose like two different actors, and then you have to give your reasoning why you chose whichever one that you did, right? And so we, we've kind of developed this over the years to where we just come up with like these stupid, silly scenarios, right? And so we do this in our family. We'll do it around our dinner table with our kids. We'll have like these, would you rather, and we'll post two different silly scenarios. We've kind of done this with some other close family friends. So we have like running Marco Polos where we have, would you rather, and they post the question to their family, and they send us a Marco Polo back with like what their answers were. So we have like this ongoing thing. And man, like it, it's a fun game. It's like it's something that we enjoy. It for some reason brings a lot of laughter into our home, a lot of laughter into our lives. But we come up with like these silly ultimatums in the church too. All right. Like we come up with like these would you rather scenarios, but they're not so funny. Like the, the, actor scenarios, the silly scenarios, like we bring these into the church, but we make these like very minuscule things, really large things. So like, here's some examples. Like some of the things that we've seen this in the life of the church is like worship styles. Like either you go with like the classical or you go with like the modern and like you have these two spectrums and you make these like a would you rather game in the life of the church and they're a hill that you die on and the church is split over these things, silly things. It's ultimatums that are just nonsense that are in the life of the church. You have also things like evangelism strategies or small group strategies or you have like bus ministry things. Like you have these things that you we bring into the church and they seem like dividing lines. There's these like ultimate that we pose within the life of the church and they're just silly and they're nonsense and they don't like belong here at all. And one of the things that I think is my least favorite of all these ultimatums that we sort of bring into the church is are you a missional church or are you a discipleship church? In essence, are you a church that's gonna go after people that don't know Jesus or are you gonna be a church that's really trying to equip and develop other Christians that are a part of the life of your church? As if like there are two ends of the spectrum and you have to choose one side or the other. Literally have people that have asked me as we've come to like start Storyline Church, which type of church are you gonna be? Are you gonna be a missional church or are you gonna be a discipleship oriented church? I've been a part of like interview processes within churches. Are you gonna are you more bent towards like being a missional church type of person or are you gonna be more bent towards discipleship oriented type of person? And man, I, I just don't like the question. Because I feel like you're posing this ultimatum in the life of the church of like, you're either, it, it sort of feels like here's the question that you're being asked. Are you going to be an attractional, like seeker sensitive type of church? Or are you going to be a church that's like very intellectual and trying to help people really understand the Bible and you have to pick or choose? Which one is it going to be? And I, I just feel like you look at the Bible and it dispels this entire spectrum altogether. Specifically, one of the things that you see just in the life of our passage that I think dispels this whole thing is what's the end goal? Which Paul says here that we may present everyone mature in Christ. There's two words that are really important there, right? 
like want everyone, everyone, not just like the people that are here seated, seated in these seats. Paul's saying like, no, I feel like I have this burden on my shoulders, on my heart for everyone that they hear the goodness of Jesus. But then you also have the word mature here, right? So it's not just going out and making this mass declaration that people know who Jesus is, but he's saying, no, I, I actually also have this deep desire that not only do they know about Jesus, but Jesus gets deep down inside of them. You see what I'm saying? And so look, the way that we're trying to tease this out here, like to be faithful to this end goal, if you're thinking about last, the first week of this series and then this week, it means that we must take like very seriously initiating relationships with all people. That's our first core value. We initiate relationships with all people, that everyone of this passage. But then, look, our second core value, that we grow in maturity together. That we're going after everyone, but then as we're going after everyone, we're seeking the end goal, which is maturity. See what I'm saying? And so look, a couple of weeks ago, we really tackled this initiating relationships with all people. It kind of gave vision for what we're wanting to do here in the next, in 2022 is the life of our church. Like this is the year of invitation, right? Like both corporately and personally that we're trying to seek that 100,000 people get invited to hear the goodness of Jesus in 2022, but then also wrestle with questions of like, how am I gonna personally like own this year of invitation where I'm stepping out in the places that God has me and inviting people in to hear the goodness of Jesus as well. Like we wanna do this corporately. We also wanna take this very seriously personally. But tonight I want us to envision together just the second core value of this idea of maturity, that we grow. We grow in maturity together. And we'll do this through the lens of verses 28 and 29 of Colossians chapter one. And so there's two words that are really important here, all right? Two words that I really want us to just sit with tonight. And the first one is proclaim, and the second one is labor. Proclaim and labor. And these two words, they depict how we are to grow in maturity together in 2022. So if you're a note taker, here's where we're going tonight. All right. So here's the first and second point. These are two points for the night. First, we proclaim Jesus to one another. We'll find this in verse 28. And then secondly, we labor together with spirit empowered effort, which we'll find in verse 29. So let's wrestle with the first one. We'll transition to the second one. And then I have a story to close this out. That's trying to like wrap up the whole thing. All right. So, verse 28. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So here is what Paul is doing, all right? He's given us both an action and then an intended result within verse 28. And an action and intended result or like a purpose behind the action, all right? So the action here is we proclaim him. 
And then the intended result or the purpose behind the proclamation is so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So let's break this down, this action and this purpose, so that we can talk about how this affects us and how we grow maturity together in 2022, all right? So the action is that Paul and others, the apostles, some other leaders that are with Paul that he's raised up, Pastors that are in the making, they are proclaiming Jesus. They are preaching Jesus. Now, something I I think we need to hear in this word is Paul is intentionally using the word proclaim instead of using the word that he's about to use, which is teach. There's a difference between both preaching and teaching, all right? Teaching is imparting information, or trying to help people learn what it, what it looks like to walk in something. But preaching is about life change. So what Paul is saying is like, I'm, I'm proclaiming Jesus. I am preaching Jesus because I don't want just people to know information about Jesus. I want people's lives to be changed by Jesus. There's a difference. And the way that I, Paul is saying, I, like, I'm speaking in, like, my terms that I'm Paul. Paul's saying, I want people to be changed by Jesus. The other apostles, the other church leaders, they preach Jesus because they want people's lives to be changed by Jesus. Now, this preaching has teaching involved in it, but he's saying that is part of the whole, right? I want people to their lives to be dramatically changed by the good news of Jesus as he's proclaimed to them in their life. So he would preach Christ and show people their need for Jesus through two words, warning and teaching. So this word warning is actually like you can say to put into mind. It's the idea of of cautioning or a gentle warning that a person has towards another in this life. Now, if you have a different translation, one of the words that is commonly used here is the word admonish. And if we think about that in the English language, that usually comes with connotations of like a sharp reprimand, right? So there's this, it can be very short, it can be very um, quick, it can be very contrite whenever we think about the word um, admonish here. And that's not what Paul is really getting at whenever he's speaking of the word warn here. What he's saying is that there's this helping of others see how their mind and their life is disjointed by sin is what Paul's really trying to get at here. So the attitude, if you're trying to get at the attitude or the heart posture of this word, is that there's a humility and there's a love in the way that someone's approached whenever they're warned, rather than this arrogance and condescension whenever someone's being approached about this warning about Jesus. That's what Paul is saying here. You see this in his life as he's going around and he's sharing Jesus with other people. So there are times when Paul is sharp and he is like maybe a little bit more like the admonish of what we think or minds initially go to. You see this with in Galatians when Paul approaches Peter because there's a gospel issue that he's separated himself, but that's more of the minimal than it is the majority. What he's primarily doing as he goes out and he warns people is he's going to people that don't know Jesus, specifically people that are outside of the people of God, not necessarily Jewish people, but Gentile people. And he's going and he's trying to find ways that he can kind of work his way into their mindset, their lifestyle to proclaim Jesus and to warn them of the destruction of sin in their life. You see this in Acts chapter 14, whenever he goes to Lystra, 
And he is, they, he and Barnabas are there and they're presenting the gospel of Jesus to them. There's a miracle that happens. They think that Paul and Barnabas are gods. And so they come and they start worshiping them. And what do they do? They go and they try to find something from their lifestyle. And they say, no, 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 we're just mere men. We're coming to proclaiming this God to you who, and here's the examples he uses, brings rain from the heavens and brings fruitful seasons. These are all things that you see in your everyday life that God is doing amongst you. And this is the warning that, hey, this God that produces all these things, if you don't trust in this Jesus, then the sin that you live in is going to destroy you, not just in this present life, but in the life to come. You see this in Acts 17, where Paul is gone, he's He's gone to the Arapagos. I can't say that word very well. And what does he do? He goes and he's, he looks and he, he goes around teaching. He goes around proclaiming, but he sees these idols. And then he goes to the Arapagos and he stands up at the Arapagos. And what does he do? He says, I see that you're a religious people. And there's this idol that says to an unknown God. And then he speaks into them with the gospel of Jesus and he presents the gospel. He's warning them here. He's saying, hey, look, you ha- sin has destroyed your mind and your life. I'm warning you about this destruction because there's a God who is good and he's welcoming you in. And this, son, this sin that has disjointed your life, he can piece you back together again. That's what he's doing. He's going around and he's warning. He's providing these warnings to these people. Hey, see the error of your ways. See what sin has done in your life. But he doesn't just warn. He also goes and he teaches. So if you're providing correction, you need an answer to the problem. And so what Paul says that they go and do is they then teach. They instruct. So they share about this Jesus. That's the answer to their problem. So he's saying, look what Jesus has done. He provides new relationship and he provides new life. So he provides new relationship and then he shares what Jesus in his life has done for them. He sacrificed himself for you. The the debt of your sin is a penalty of death and Jesus stood in that place for you. He laid down his life for you. Then he says there's new relationship that you get with, you're made right with God. Jesus, if you trust in him, all the work that he's done for you, you are made right. You get this new relationship with God. Then he says, you also have hope that Jesus isn't dead in a grave. He's alive. He was resurrected from the grave. And look, this, this heavenly body that he, he got, that no sin, no destruction, no pain, no death can touch this body. You get that too. And this heaven comes to earth and he makes all things new. This is your hope. You get new relationship. You get a hope. Paul's instructing them with all this, but he then says, look, there's also this new way of life that you get to live now. This isn't all just like future-oriented stuff. Like this is stuff you get to experience here and now. So he would show them what this new life looks like now. You get Colossians chapter three. If you fast forward a couple of chapters from where we're at, Paul talks about putting off and then putting on or putting away and putting on. He says, you put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language, lying to one another. He's saying like nothing, this is, this is nothing that would be new to us, nothing that's new to them, but he's saying, look, this is your former way of life. 
This is what life looked like before Jesus. But in Jesus, he's offering you a new way of life. He says, you get to put this on now. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Can you like just step back and think about those words all combined together versus the, the phrases that we put together, what we're to put away. Like a community that is filled with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and they're forbearing with one another and they're forgiving one another. Like, oh my gosh, that type of community is compelling. And he's saying, look, you get to put this life on now. You get to live in this reality. It's not perfect, no, but you get to live in this sense of what's to come in the present because God is here with you. So he's instructing them. He's warning and he's teaching them. Look, look what sin does to you. It disjoints you. Look at the new life you get to have in Jesus. He solves all the problems that sin has brought in your life. And then he provides this new way of living that's compelling. It's a community that you want to be a part of. That's why they are adding numbers to them every single day that the book of Acts tells us. And Paul is, he's saying, like, look, this is what we do. We proclaim Jesus. We warn and we instruct. And the purpose of this is because we want to present everyone mature in Christ. Now, we think of mature as like the aging process, right? Like we think about getting older and having a head full of gray hair. No, that's not what this word is getting at because there are plenty of people out there with a head full of gray hair that there's no indication of mature responses to them whenever there are problems in relationships or circumstances. Some of the most hurtful relationships that I've had in my life are people, when speaking to ministry specifically, have come from people with a lot of gray hair, right? So it doesn't necessarily mean that you are mature if you have grown older. What Paul is speaking here is more of a completeness or a fullness, You've attained a certain goal or a standard. So imagine like if I had a measuring cup here, all right? And there's a standard. Whenever you have one cup in a measuring cup, you fill that thing up until it gets to one, one cup, right? If you're, you're short of that, there's not the fullness that you experience within the full entire cup. Like what, what do you need? You, you need more that you add onto it. You, there's... You're, you're, you're left wanting if the whole thing's not full. What Paul is saying, look, I, I proclaim Christ and I warn and I teach because I want the fullness of Jesus to be experienced in everyone that I have approached. He's saying, I, I don't want people just to experience half a measure of Jesus. I don't want people just to experience a three quarters measure of Jesus. No, I want... A, a fullness. I want a completeness with what people experience in Jesus. And so he says, look, I, I do this proclaiming and this warning and this teaching because I want people to experience the fullness, the completeness of Jesus here. I want people to 
whenever they see Jesus, when they see God face to face, whether it's after a, a permanent death or a, a, a short-term death before we have the new second coming of Jesus, or it's at the second coming of Jesus that you stand before God. He's saying, I want people to have this fullness, this completeness of Jesus whenever they stand before God to the most that they can experience in this life. That's what Paul is saying here. Not that there's like this oldness or this maturity in terms of age processing when it comes to the Christian life. He's saying, no, I want this fullness and this completeness that there's no level of less experience of Jesus in the way that I go proclaiming and warning and teaching people because I want people to know the goodness of who Jesus is. We get this in Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 13, that this is like his end goal. So it's gonna be up here. If you can go all the way to verse 13. He says this, it ends like this, all right? So he's talked about Paul, God has given the church some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, all this to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to be built up in the church of Christ until we all reach unity and faith in the knowledge of God's son. And then look at this, this is where I'm getting this. Growing into maturity with a a stature measured by Christ's fullness, So what he's saying here is, look, I want people to experience both the fullness of God's love for them. Jesus experienced the fullness of God's love for him because he was the one true son of God. You literally have his voice spoken over him at his baptism and other points of his life where God speaks over him and talks about the fullness of his love for Jesus. He's saying, I want you to experience that same type of love, but also... Jesus fully embodied that love and expressed it in relationships with other people. So he's saying, look, I want the fullness of Christ for you. I want the full experience of God's love in your life, but then I also want the fullness of Jesus' life for you in relationship with other people. That's what he's saying. That's the fullness of Christ. It's the Christ-likeness. It's the maturity that Paul is speaking of here. And look, Paul tells us that this isn't just his job It's also our job as the church as well. Like every single one of us seated here tonight. Because in Colossians chapter three, verse 16, he says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. And then look at this, in all wisdom, in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another, the very things that he just said that he is doing, this proclamation, the warning and the teaching, these are the same words that he's used. And he's saying, this is your responsibility as the church. And here's how you do it. Through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So look, the short way of saying this of what Paul is intentionally trying to say to us here tonight, is saying, you grow in maturity together. When you proclaim and you warn and you teach and you're working through the maturity that we all are aspiring to, he's saying what you're doing is you're growing in maturity together because it's the work of the church. We warn one another with all humility and gentleness and love. We teach one another, showing one another the grace and truth and love of Christ to one another from the Bible, from the scriptures. 
helping one another put off the old way of living and putting on the new way that we have, new life that we have in Christ. We pray for one another as we live out this fight of putting off and putting on. Like this is what Paul says that you do in the life of the church. You grow in maturity together. You proclaim, you warn, you teach, and you pursue one another. So look, we at Storyline, we pursue this in a couple of ways, all right? One is through this very gathering right here, our Sunday gatherings. We gather every single week. The Bible tells us that we're not to put off, we're not to neglect gathering together for the preaching of God's word and the singing of God's word together on a regular basis. You see it in Hebrews, you saw it in Colossians 3.16. We do this because, look, we need to see one another seen about the goodness of Jesus and see it affect our lives. Like, I need to see you here regularly, like, proclaiming the goodness of Jesus because it encourages me to continue to walk and to grow into the maturity, the fullness of Christ that Paul's speaking of here. So we prioritize this gathering. We put a lot of thought and intentionality of the songs that we're singing and the series that we're working through, the books that we're working through, the, the, the preaching that's happening, the, the passages that we sing. We do all of this because we want to grow maturity together. But look, at the same time, Sundays aren't enough. They're not enough. This is one of the, the big like pieces of the puzzle that Western church is having to figure out right now because all of our eggs have gone into the Sunday gatherings and we're one of the least discipled societies when it comes to the life of the church since Christ came here and walked the, the face of the planet. There's something about the way we are not doing discipleship outside of Sunday that we have to figure out. And so one of our ways that we're trying to do that is through our discipleship groups. We're trying to get into smaller groups of men and women where there's intentional time with one another to look, both do the warning and the teaching and the proclaiming that Jesus is talking about, or that Paul is talking about here in this passage. So look, we do this in a couple of ways, all right? So we have a Bible reading plan. I've, I brought props, all right? I have, we have a Bible reading plan that we're doing. We're trying to go at least through the New Testament together. There's also a way that you can go through the whole Old Testament that's on this Bible reading plan. We're doing this together in our discipleship groups. We have five questions that we're wrestling through every single time that we gather where we're trying to wrestle with the text about our own life, about the truths about God and our response to that, that we do every single week where it gives us a place that we warn and admonish. Look, oftentimes it's like the soft gentleness that Paul did as he went to the Arapagos, as he went to Lystra. And this is what it looks like. We're, we're sharing vulnerably the things that are going on in my life. There's many times where we're like Matt Rushing or Matt Green or Jake or like uh, who else is in my disciple? Like Brian, who's in my disciple. Like there's times where they share something vulnerable and I walk away and it's like, you know what? Like I deal with that too. The thing that they just shared, like a struggle in their own life, like that's me. I, I need to wrestle with God about this own sin that I, I was completely oblivious to until they came and they confessed it at our group through our discussion that we're having through the Bible. There, it's a warning to me. 
But then, look, we're also trying to teach. We're trying to instruct. We're trying to grow in what we believe. We're trying to know our faith. And look, we do this through something called the New City Catechism, where there's this question every single week and an answer that we're memorizing this truth about what we believe and has given us a common language and has given us a paradigm for the way in which we live in this life. It's taking the truths of the passages that we're talking about in the warning, and then it's putting it in instruction that help us have a paradigm for the way that we live this life. We're trying to warn, and we're trying to teach, and we're trying to pursue this proclaiming, and this warning, and this teaching together, both in the way that we gather on Sundays, but also as we gather, whether it be in homes or coffee shops or wherever your discipleship group is meeting across this city every single week. Because look, we want to be mature. We want to grow in maturity together. So here's my questions. I have two application questions for you here, all right? Here's the first one. One, are you in a discipleship group? Now, like, if this is your first time, then it's like, well, that's not fair, <laughs> right? It's okay. But look, if you've been coming for a little while and you're not in a discipleship group, like, the invitation is to step in. Look, we, we, we love you. We, we want you to be here. Like, my desire, our, the leadership of this church is that we, like as Paul, we want to present everyone mature in Christ. We want you to have the fullness of experience of Christ in your life whenever you stand before God. And one of the ways that we're trying to do that is a discipleship group. So look, step in. We can help you do that before you leave tonight. It's simple. Like we have a book. We have a reading plan that I have on the back table. I'll hand it to you, you can, before you walk out the door. And we'll help you get connected to a group before you leave. The second one is this. What does your participation look like? If you've been in a discipleship group, then what does your participation look like? Are you consistent and are you contributing? Or are you sporadic and are you reserved whenever you gather there? Whenever you're talking through the passage that you're working through, are, are you silent? Are you reserved? Or look, are you opening up your life and speaking vulnerably with other people so that you can receive the warning and the teaching that we all need, every single one of us, so that you can grow and experience the fullness of Christ and step into maturity, that we grow in maturity together. Look, here's the thing. Like every single one of us that are in this room, myself included, you're both needy and needed. You need other people to speak into your life, but look, other people need your contribution. They need you to speak into their life as well because that's how we grow in maturity together. So look, there's, it's not a big, it's not a, like a new vision for us when it's, we're talking about growing and maturity together. What I'm asking us is to step more fully into it. If you're sporadic or if you're not a part of it, then step in. If you are, like think about what does my participation look like and how do I step more fully in? Because I want more of Jesus. So the first way we're to grow in maturity together is we proclaim Christ to one another. Through Sundays, discipleship groups, we warn and we teach one another. We put off the old self. We put on the new self that we have in Christ and we try to step into this together. And then the second way we're to grow in maturity together 
is that we, it's through spirit-empowered effort. All right, verse 29 says this. I labor for this. Speaking of what he has just said in 28, we proclaim him, we warn, and we teach everyone so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Now look, at some level, this verse should probably be a little strange to us, right? We cling to verses like Matthew eleven twenty nine, where Jesus says, all you who, are, who labor and are weary, you're to come to me and you're to find rest. Like we cling to verses like this. Or Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, that we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no one may boast. Like these are pillars of truth that we stand on. But then you get verses like this one, verse 29, I labor for this, I strive for this. You get 1 Corinthians 15, 10, where Paul says, I worked harder than any of them, talking about the other apostles. Then you get 2 Timothy 4, 7, that he's talking about the straining and this fighting that he's doing in his life for Christ to be in him. He's talking about 1 Corinthians 9, 24, where we're to run and we're to strain for the prize as if we're competing in a coliseum. Then you get 1 Corinthians 9, 27, where he's talking about where we work and we discipline our body. So which is it? Is it grace or is it effort, Paul? Well, the order here I think is so crucial, all right? Look, Paul says we proclaim Christ and then we labor. We proclaim Christ because it's solely through Jesus, faith and belief in Jesus, everything that he has done in his life, in his ministry for us, we place our faith in that and this rest that he offers us is the rest that we get. Fully accepted through Christ's work, not our own, but then we labor to look, put on Christ here and now. The putting off and the putting on, it happens through our work and our labor and our effort. That grace that we get by trusting in Jesus unleashes this effort for us to work, to put off, and to put on. There's a Christian thinker or philosopher, Dallas Willard, that I think puts it so well. He says it like this, grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. So what we need to differentiate here is not the idea of that we grace in effort, but what we need to, differ, need to differentiate is the type of effort that Paul's speaking of here. He's, is a human versus Holy Spirit effort. He says, I labor for this striving with his strength that works so powerfully in me. So you have human strength that's done by us and is dependent on us. That's what human strength is. But his strength that Paul is talking about, this spirit-empowered effort, involves our effort. It does take our effort. We step into this, yet it's dependent on the spirit for the desired results. You see the difference? There's a dependence. We step in with our hard work, our hard labor, but there's a difference in the dependency for the desired results when we step into this type of labor that Paul's speaking of here. The best illustration that I think you find in all of the Bible is that of farming, 
all right? I was trying to think through, how do we wrestle with this as a church, this idea of working and laboring, all right? So what you see in the gospels, what you see even with Paul as he's talking to some of the churches, he says, I came and I planted, Apollos came, he watered, but then God gave the growth. You see some of the the parables that Jesus talks about, about there's this garden and a sower comes in and he plants the thing and then Overnight, you see this growth that takes place and the the actual farmer had nothing to do with it. That's what Paul's getting at here. There's work and there's labor that goes into farming. One of the most rigorous type of work that we have in our society is farming, is laborious. There's a lot of strain. There's a lot of discipline that goes into it. You have to do a lot of work to get the plant into the ground. But then there's this mystery Whenever the plant, the seed gets into the ground about the way that the growth takes place, there's something that you can't do as a human being to produce the desired result that comes about with planting a a fruit or planting a vegetable with the end result that happens. It requires work, but then there's also this other effect that happens that's beyond us that takes place. And what Paul is saying, it's the Holy Spirit that's inside of you. Because whenever you place your faith in Jesus, you get this immeasurable gift in the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of you. And Paul says that now whenever he's working at all of this, as he's straining, as he's striving, he says, I'm putting all of my effort, I'm putting all of my work into this, but look, I'm doing it and it's the effort and strength of the Holy Spirit who's actually producing the results that I'm like, that's happening through my labor and the work that I'm doing. Do you see It's not, Paul's not saying I work and I labor and all this is dependent on me to get the gospel out and for people to come to faith in Jesus. He's saying, no, I labor more than anybody else to get the gospel out. I'm going out, I'm trying to plant seeds. I'm trying to get the gospel. I'm warning and I'm teaching, but look, I labor for this. I strive after this, but the one that's producing the results is the Holy Spirit. It's his work that he's producing in the work that I'm putting out to try to get the gospel out and deep in other people. He's saying, I can't do that. I can't produce those results, but God does. He's doing this work in and through me. And so here's what this looks like for us, all right? As we step into this, as we step into gatherings, as we step, in, step into discipleship groups, look, If we want to labor, if we want to strive, if we want to have spirit-empowered effort that's taking place and growing in maturity together, there's three things. It's honesty, it's discipline, and it's community. It's honesty, it's discipline, and community. Here, honestly, it's here's where I am not like Jesus. You give an honest assessment of your life. These are places that I see that I am not measuring up to who Jesus is. An honest assessment, you look at your life, you take the Bible, use it as a a mirror to reflect back to you your own life. You wrestle with the Holy Spirit about what's going on in your life. You probably have things that stand out to you as I'm speaking of this right here and now. You say, like, this is something I need to grow in. This is something that I I need to labor and I need to strain and I need to work to become like Jesus in this area. And then look, you have discipline where you say, here's what I'm going to do about it. Here's the action steps. Here's the things that I'm going to step into in order for me to work and labor to grow in this thing. These are the action steps that I'm going to do for me to say, this is enough is enough. 
this sin that has dominated my life, I'm gonna seek for it to be killed in my life and here's the action steps for how I'm gonna step into this. And then look, you need community. You ask the question, like, here is, like, who is the people that are gonna step into this with me as I step into this honesty, as I give this honest assessment of my life, as I say, here's the steps that I'm gonna take, who am I inviting in to walk with me through this process? So for me, here's like an example, all right? Lucas and Andy and I were reading through this book together this last year um, by this pastor, Paul David Tripp, it's called Lead. And there's a line that just kind of stuck with me. We've put together some like, we, we call them life maps. And so um, we put together like this vision for our life of who we want to be 20 years from now. And like, here's some action steps for how we're going to get there. And like, we, we're going to talk about this once a month at our staff meetings. And we're going to work through this together. And one of the things in this book that really stood out to me, um, he was just wrestling with church leadership. And he, he said, one of the acceptable sins in Christian community is gluttony. Like, it's something that you can get away with and no one really, like, speaks into your life here, but it's like a idol issue. There's a heart issue that's taking place in your life. And so one of the things that I picked this for this year is my own physical health. And what it really is is a self-control issue for me. See, because here's the, what's really going on. In my heart, whenever I like don't take care of my body by exercising or thinking about the food that I'm putting in my body, here's what I'm really saying. It's a heart issue. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying what I value is more important than what God values for me. He's given me these resources in my body and my time and the gifts and skills that I have. And what I do whenever I I don't take care of these things. It's a heart issue where I'm saying what I want is really more important than what God wants in my life. And like, look, I'm, I'm at this point where it's like, enough is enough. I need to take control over my own body and I'm gonna step into this for 2022 and I wanna see this work of Christ take place in my life where my heart wants what God wants more for me than what my own body wants for itself. And so I'm like trying to step into it. I give an honest assessment of my life. I try to put some action steps down on paper for what this looks like for me. I've shared it with some brothers that are around me that we're gonna try to step into this and hold each other accountable in this. And look, at the end of 2022, Lord willing, like I've seen some results. I've seen some things that have taken place in my life. But here's the idea, all right? When we're looking forward, all we see is the strain and the work and the toil that takes place. But when we look back on this stuff, what you really see is the, the hand of God on full display in your life for the way that he has powerfully worked inside of you. And so that's my prayer, that as we try to step into growing in maturity together, that we work through these things. And then by the end of 2022, that we look back, we just see God's hand on full display on our life. More maturity, more fullness of Jesus, more express, experience of his love, more expression of that love in relationships with other people. Like that's what I want for my life. That's what I want for your life. That's what I want for our church. So look, we need to be a church that proclaims Jesus to one another. And then we need to work. 
We need a labor by a spirit-empowered effort that takes place inside of all of us. So let me give you a story to try to wrap all this together and then we'll close, all right? So um, my, my family, uh, this is a Disney story. Most everybody knows that I was like gone last week to go to Disney, right? So we're, we're at Disney. Um, it's the last day, so we're like packing up all of our stuff and we're trying to get on the bus to go catch our airplane. So we're all decked out in like sweatpants and sweat, like sweatshirts and all the things. And it's like 78 degrees outside. And so I'm like going to get one of those like trolley things to like load all of your luggage on and then you can take it in like one fail swoop, you know? Uh, we have six people, so it's like we brought our whole house with us, you know? So I'm trying to like get this thing. I'm walking past all the people that are trying to get to like magical king- the Magic Kingdom and like all the different places trying to get on these bus. They like give me this weird look of like, dude, it's 78 degrees outside and you got like full, like a heavy jacket on, like you're ready to go like step into the Arctic blizzard or something. And so... Like I have one person, I have a bellhop person that's like, hey, um, why do you have a jacket on? <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, we're actually going home today. Uh, we live in St. Louis and it's like pretty cold there. I think the high was like 15 that day we were supposed to get back. And so um, here's what the bellhop said. She goes, oh, you're not dressed for here. You're dressed for where you're going. Whenever we're thinking about this idea of growing and maturity together and we're putting off and we're putting on, it's this idea of like trying to clothe ourselves in this new life of Christ. And look, here's what I want our lives to look like. I want your life to stand out. I want it to look different. I want our relationships. I want our character. I want our community to look like that list that Paul said that we put on and not like the list that we put off. And if that's the case, then you're going to look different. And if we're clothing ourselves for a life that is to come, the place that we're going and not for the place that we're at, people are going to look at us and say, you're not dressed for where you're at. You're dressed for where you're going. That's what we want for our church. When we grow in maturity together, we're putting on this clothing that we're dressing up for where we're going, not for where we're at right now. And here's the thing. It's going to take time. It's going to take work. And it's going to take each other. But look, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, the Spirit-empowered effort that we can live it and experience it now. So let's proclaim him. Let's labor so we can present everyone mature in Christ. Let's pray.